Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh. Learn market knowledge and best practices to lead your company's success. And hey, that's whatever type of company you work for. And I believe we have to have some fun along the way. Well, hello, I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Well, today we're going to explore the U.S. office market. We'll share how the sector performed in 2012 and what to expect moving forward. You know, did the quest for safe yield heat up the office investment market? And what happened with occupancy? We'll see right now. We'll see what's hot and what's not in the office sector. Please welcome my first guest, Walter Page, Director of Research with CoStar Group. CoStar Group is the number one provider of commercial real estate research and information services for investors, sales professionals in the United States and United Kingdom. They cover more than 59 billion square feet of commercial property, including over 7 billion square feet of space for lease. Walter Page, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Well, Walter, let's get right into it. How did the office market perform in 2012? Uh, I would say the office market performed as we expected in 2012. Uh, Vacancy fell 50 basis points to 12.3%. That was within 10 basis points of where we had expected. Uh, We expected 12.4. Net absorption was 59 million square feet. That was 7% below our forecast of 63 million square feet, but that was up 43% from 2011, which is um, quite a significant feat given that the economy uh, faced some headwinds, you know, from the fiscal cliff, national election, and a fear of a double-dip recession. Uh, Rent growth for the year ended up at 1.7% rise compared to basically flat rent growth in 2011. If you factor in a reduction in free rent concessions, rent growth was close to 2%. Uh, the first year of what I would call a significant upturn in the rent uh, situation. So it was a pretty good year for office. Right. And that's a good uh, rate increase there. And that's exactly what you guys had expected? Uh, yes, we expected 1.9% increase in, in rents. So we were right on target. Okay. Well, now you can say I told you so, right? <laughs> All the doubters and naysayers. Well, which cities had the best performance in 2012, Walter? Uh, San Francisco is clearly the leader. Uh, it had rent growth of 14.6%. Uh, Boston, Houston, New York, San Jose, and Seattle all had rent growth of 4 to 5%, which wasn't too bad, suggesting that technology and energy markets are doing fairly well. Uh On a percentage of stock basis, actually, Phoenix, Austin, and Houston were on fire. They had 2% rate of net absorption, which is two and a half times the national average. So we're we're seeing uh, a broadening of the uh, market improvement. That's interesting. You know, we have a lot of listeners in San Francisco. What's in the water out there? I mean, that's a pretty pretty great, robust uh, performance there. Well, I mean, it's the tech industry, and it's – a very supply-constrained market. There is no new constraint. Well, there's one building underway in downtown Washington, um, San Francisco, mm-hmm. and it's that fear of uh, lack of supply that is driving uh, tenants to pay up. And, and the other thing is, San Francisco, remember, is recovering from the tech wreck that occurred in 2000. So they're uh, likely to have some of the greatest peak to trough rent growth of any market in the country during this recovery. Okay. Well, great. That's interesting. Well, what, which cities struggled the most in 2012, Walter? Uh, Washington, D.C. and Northern New Jersey, actually, uh, both struggled significantly. Uh, Washington recorded near zero net absorption, which is, you know, they normally get 2 million square feet. Uh, this is partly due to the normal election cycle. 
but it's also just general downsizing by the the general services administration and some other tenants and fear about what's happening with the fiscal situation in uh, dc uh, and then in northern new jersey they lost about 300,000 square feet negative net absorption and patents expired for some drug manufacturers like cholesterol lowering drugs and that reduced uh, demand and caused rents to decline by 1.4 percent finally it should be noted that new york which is normally a very strong market had 600,000 square feet of negative net absorption which is just a drop in the bucket when you consider that new york is a nearly 800 million square foot office market uh, the demand loss was driven by the financial service sector and uh, uh, space cutbacks. But despite that number, you know, New York still did achieve uh, about 4% rent growth. So it wasn't that bad in New York. <laughs> That's right. Putting that in perspective. What about Class A versus Class B? Is uh, Class A still performing better? What do you see there? Uh, the Class A segment achieved double its fair share of net absorption. So it achieved 72% of the net absorption. It, it represents 34% of the market stock, so that's the reason why it got double its fair share. Rent growth for the sector was about 1.9% versus 1.5 for Class B. Uh, clearly, we're seeing uh, flight to quality, and uh, Class Class A is, is definitely winning. Now, going forward, we expect that the uh, extra performance of the Class A segment will probably diminish somewhat but still probably uh, capture half of the net absorption going forward. Okay, that's interesting. Well, what about the uh, suburban market uh, versus uh, city market, CBD districts? What do you see there? Well, clearly tenants are liking the, the CBD markets, and that's shown by the lower vacancy rates. CBD vacancies fell 30 basis points in the past year to 11.2, but the more telling thing is that they had 3.2% rent growth. Uh, they had only 7 million square feet of net absorption for the year, which represents half of the fair share, or 12 percent, um, but clearly the CBDs did well. The suburban markets, we like to break them into two groups. We call one is the premier suburban markets, which are the close-in, more supply-constrained locations. Uh, those areas actually did pretty well. They had a 60 basis point decline in vacancy, the most of any uh, of the of the segments to 12.8. Now, rent growth was a little bit slower at 1.8%, which was one full percentage point below that of the CBDs. And then as you go further out, the sub true suburban markets, a lot of housing distress in some of those markets, and so they didn't have as well a good of a recovery, only 30 basis points, and vacancy rates are 13.8 or 1% higher than premier suburban and 2.6% higher than the CBDs. The higher vacancy rates in these outer suburban areas translates into basically no rent growth uh, in the outer suburban markets. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Were there any surprises or, or standout results, Walter, that, that you saw looking uh, at 2012? Removals of office space are a big deal. In fact, since the recession ended, over half of the decline in office vacancy rate, or 0.7%, has been accounted for by removals of office space. Uh, for example, in 2012, we had 59 million square feet of net absorption, but we had 18 million square feet of office space removed from the marketplace. Now, the removals are concentrated in markets like San Jose, 
Hartford, but also Class C office space. And that is a, uh, you know, that's a very big factor that we look at when we forecast. That's interesting. So you add that with the the lack of new construction that we've seen in many markets, and uh, then you have an improving office market, right? Yes. And and some markets like uh, Los Angeles, for example, where there's basically no uh, significant construction, you actually have more removals of office space than you have uh, additions. Right. That's interesting. Well, what do you expect to see for the office sector moving forward into 2013? So going forward, we had 59 million square feet in absorption this past year. We expect that number to rise closer to 70 million in 2013. That's an 18% increase. Uh, we expect the the increase to basically reflect a similar job picture in 2013 to 2012, but less excess shadow supply, which was the lost space from the last recession. Uh, we're working that off. Uh, this should support about a 50 basis point improvement in occupancy rates, uh, put vacancy in the range of about 11.5%. And the rent growth should ramp up. Last year was 1.7. This year, we're looking for mid 3% type rent growth. Uh, we expect to see a fairly balanced capital markets. Supply and demand uh, should be fairly balanced. Uh, no significant trends in pricing or anything like that. Okay. And speaking of capital markets, we're short on the break here, but what happened with sales volume in 2012? Were there more office sales this year? Office sales overall are up 7.8%. But the the critical thing here is if you look at the institutional office sales, they were flat. Uh, But the smaller office sales, less than $25 million, were up 18% in the past year. And that is principally due to the capital gains tax increases, we think that a lot of people sold properties at the end of the year to avoid paying the higher capital gains taxes. Yeah, we saw the same thing in our shop, people rushing to get deals done, and that was good for the economy. Maybe uh, we should have those lower tax rates moving forward (laughs) and get uh, investment rolling. Walter Page, thanks for sharing your insight with us today. Thank you. If you'd like more information from or about CoStar Services, visit CoStarGroup.com. Well, after a quick break, we'll get more perspective on the U.S. office market for you. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Cone Resnick, forward-thinking advice to navigate business and financial issues. Visit ConeResnick.com. By BB&T, banking, business, and commercial real estate loans. Visit BB&T.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit AGG.com. And Bull Realty, when your business requires proven performance, visit BullRealty.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit FranceMediaInc.com.
Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. If you'd like to know the absolute latest on any commercial real estate-related subjects, check out our on-demand show podcast. For example, we had recent shows on broker strategies, social media for business, and a show on the banking industry, which included best practices for lenders related to non-performing notes and OREO, other real estate-owned, of course. You can access the shows anytime on your smartphone or computer. Visit iTunes or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're discussing the U.S. office market. Please welcome my next guest, Mitch Rochelle, U.S. real estate practice leader with PwC. As a member of the PwC network of firms in 158 countries and more than 180,000 people, PwC U.S. helps organizations and individuals create value. They're committed to delivering quality in assurance, tax, and advisory services. Mitch Rochelle, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Michael. Well, Mitch, we were talking about the sales volume uh, last year with the previous call. And uh, just where was the volume for office sales in 2012, and and what do you expect moving forward? Yeah, let me talk about some of the markets that um, had greater volume than others. And one of the ways we've been at PwC measuring transaction volume is not by dollars, but by square footage. And the reason is there'll be one or two mega deals sort of across the country in dollars that will skew all the statistics. So I think that using square foot as a standard of measure as opposed to a dollar uh, just seems like a better way to cut it. Um, but there's a theme. If you look at the bigger markets in terms of volume, you've got Denver, where over 15% of the square footage traded, similarly in San Francisco, similarly in Houston and Dallas. If you go to some smaller markets, you have Minneapolis, Charlotte, and Seattle. And then in even slightly smaller markets, you have Austin and San Jose. Um, uh, Austin was the big winner with uh, almost 18% of the stock trading. The average across all of the markets that we look at is 8.6. So if you think about it, um, those are the places where investors see continued rent growth, um, falling um, occupancy levels, and stronger fundamentals. So that's where the properties are trading. If you think about 2013 and what will happen then, I think it's going to be a continuation of the trends in the technology markets, the energy markets, and the job-producing markets. Okay, and we've had uh, pretty good uh, performance in the office market despite uh, the problems in the economy. Are we definitely in a full recovery in the office market? Yeah, I think so. And the biggest reason for that, and I think we can get to that in a second in terms of specifics, is it's a supply and demand um, Thing. So if you were staying awake in sophomore year in college for a few minutes in <laughs> economics and you remembered the relationship between supply and demand, I think that's what drive, what's driving it. We're certainly creating jobs in the economy. Um, the headline numbers about job growth have been fairly consistent month after month in terms of having 100,000 or more jobs being created. What's interesting about that job growth is where. And the where is office-using jobs and service sector jobs it's not manufacturing jobs. So I think there still is a lot of room for job growth in the economy to replace all the jobs that we lost in the Great Recession. But the office sector and the service sector, which is a big component of the office sector, is really where we're seeing all of that job growth. So there's the demand side of the equation. The supply side is a fact that we haven't really added to office stock 
in quite a while, and I'll get to that in some specifics. But one of the tools we use at PwC is something we call the real estate uh, barometer. And what we do is a forecast of, in this case, 2012 through 2015. We look again at office stock in square footage, and we look at the four stages from expansion to contraction to recession and then to recovery. Um, looking at 2012 and beyond, you can see that um, we're falling out of the recessionary phase and we're clearly in the expansion phase and more and more every year of the office stock goes from uh, a recovery to um, sort of a full-out expansion. Expansion meaning um, speculative office space being brought to market perhaps as soon as late 2013 into 2014. I don't suspect it will be total spec. I think uh, it'll be well pre-leased, but I think we're going to start seeing uh, the needle moving in terms of addition to office stock across the country. Right. And the slowdown in new construction. So that that's really helped the office market, hasn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely no question about it. Just sort of on that point, um, we're, we're at a multi-decade low in terms of addition uh, to supply. Uh, we went back as far as 1985, which is about when uh, reliable data um, started. And if you look at the additions to supply, um, back in the late 80s, we were adding, you know, million, hundreds of millions of square feet of space. Um, as we got into the savings and loan crisis, that slowed down dramatically. And it wasn't until the mid-90s that you saw a real slowdown in supply. Um, but then it picked up again. Right now, in uh, 2012, the forecast is for about 9 million feet of space coming online. 2011 was similarly um, 2012 was higher, but again, a lot of that was stuff that was in the pipeline that needed to get done. Um, but um, when you're only adding a relatively small percentage of new stock and those jobs are being created, um, that's the um, perhaps perfect storm in a good way for, uh, for rent growth and occupancy pickup. So I think we're right there right now, where if you look at 2013 into the crystal ball, short of something catastrophic happening in our economy, I think you're going to see a nice bounce back in uh, at rents, um, but it will be market-specific. There's no question about it. Right. That's a good point, Mitch. Well, what do you expect to see for cap rates, and what have you seen this year, and what do you expect to see moving forward for cap rates for office properties? Um, you know, cap rates are um, um, very close to where they were. Um, pre-crash. Um, if you look at uh, the office cap rates from CBD office space as well as suburban, I'm going to talk about the difference in a second. Um, but we're at a, a cap rate level, um, and this comes from uh, the PwC Real Estate Investor Survey, which we publish quarterly. Uh, what's unique about it, what's different than some of the other data sources, is that it's more forward-looking. So we're not looking at actual closed transactions in the trailing 12 months. What we're doing is talking to our survey participants and asking them about expectations of cap rates going forward. So it's a little bit different, and I think it's more of a, a, um, a barometer or a um, sentiment index, if you will, for the where cap rates are going directionally. But cap rates are, you know, 675 or so for CBD, and that's across all the markets, and about 740 for uh, suburban. Uh, and there's a high correlation between the downward trend in both um, suburban office and CBD. A lot of folks feel that suburban office is sort of the, um, the, the stepchild of the CBD offices, but the fact of the matter is well-tenanted uh, real estate um, is going to be attractive to 
investors because it's a predictable yield and there's this massive chase for yield that's going on in the, in the capital markets that the real estate asset class is benefiting from. Right. That's a good point. Well, what's your 10-second answer to what is the biggest risk for the office market moving forward? Um, a major reversal in job growth uh, would be my 10-second answer in 11 seconds. <laughs> okay. Well, Mitch, well, thanks for sharing your perspective with us today. My pleasure, Michael, as always. For more information from Mitch and PwC, visit pwc.com. Well, after a quick break, we'll talk to two industry giants in the U.S. office market. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Cone Resnick. Forward-thinking advice to navigate business and financial issues. Visit KohnResnick.com. By BB&T, banking, business, and commercial real estate loans. Visit BB&T.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit AGG.com. And Bull Realty, when your business requires proven performance, visit BullRealty.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit FranceMediaInc.com. Well, welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. How would you like people to come to your website to hear the Commercial Real Estate Show? Well, you can now download a free widget allowing your site visitors to access show videos and audio podcasts right on your website. Just visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com and look for the widget on the homepage. You can see how it works and easily download it to your site, and after you load it, it works automatically. Well, today we're discussing the U.S. office market. Please welcome Jim Bacata, VP Howard's Properties, a publicly traded REIT headquartered in Raleigh, North Carolina. They own or have an interest in 333 properties, encompassing approximately 34.1 million square feet, and they have 561 acres ready to develop. They're in nine states across the nation. Jim, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Michael. Good to be here. Also, please welcome David Tennery, Principal, Office Properties and Development, Regent Properties, a real estate development, acquisitions, investment and services firm. Since its inception in 1988, Regent Partners has acquired and developed more than 13 million square feet across the southeast, valued in excess of $2 billion. David, thanks for joining us today. Michael, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you guys, and it's good to have two industry giants in the studio with us today. And uh, you guys just heard about the office market from an an analyst uh, point of view, from CoStar and PwC. As an actual participant, participant in the space. Do you see anything differently, David? I'm not sure I would th- see things as differently as I would to pick up on the realities that well, I think uh, Walter and Mitch both did a great job on a macro level about of looking at the markets. When you look at a micro basis, you know, it, it is a clear indication that there's going to be very limited new development that will occur. And so I would think that we're they, if anywhere, are missing the mark would perhaps be on the realities of what we'll see over the next eight quarters in the way of rent growth. Okay, so you think there'll be less built yes, and more rent growth? Yeah, I would tell you that as the guy that has to write the check every time a new building comes out of the ground, it's going to take a lot of rent growth to support any form yeah. of speculative new development, even relatively well anchored. So more rent growth. You sound like a landlord there. Yeah. <laughs> That's the hat today. That's right. Well, Jim, you guys at Highwoods are very active players in the office market. What do you see from your perspective? 
I was encouraged by Walter's uh, statistic, 70 million square feet net absorption projected in 2013. Mm -hmm. We're in 11 um, different markets, and we uh, are feeling progressively, I think, better and better about the prospects for rent growth and additional uh, net positive absorption. Uh, you know, generally, you know, that we're, we're, we've seen, you know, eight or more quarters of net positive absorption in most of our markets. I expect that trend to continue. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a slow, steady, uh, continuing recovery. We've seen the worst, and uh, clearly we're trending upward. How about your tenant activity? Has that has the flow been there? We've had um, um, generally, you know, some exceptions, but generally uh, increased tenant activity. Um, I, I wouldn't characterize my uh, view as uh, irrationally exuberant, <laughs> but uh, I feel a steady positive um, increase um, in, in tenant uh, activity. And uh, I think that trend will continue, at least in the near term and, and, and medium term. Jim, have you seen any other trends as 2012 winded down and, and 2013 has started? We're, we felt the normal holiday slowdown, and, and January is typically a little bit slow. Uh, but that's a normal trend. I really haven't seen any change from 12 to 13. It's been pretty steady. Okay. And David, uh, you've been in the office market for, for a long time. Is there anything that surprises you or stands out as, as more interesting about the, the market today? A long time, huh, Michael? In the first five <laughs> minutes of the show, you've gracefully called me old and big. So, <laughs> old and, <laughs> th and Thanks giant. for that. I'm glad we're on the radio instead of television. <laughs> Uh, I think there have been a lot of surprises, and, and uh, when you look back uh, over the last three or four cycles of, of down and up in real estate, uh, I think some of the things that stick out uh, really broadly this time for me as surprising are the sustained levels of occupancy growth we've experienced nationally, particularly in the face of a relatively anemic uh, growth economically and certainly anemic job growth on a relative basis compared to the previous two recoveries. Uh, that's meaningful. I think another component that has really been surprising has to watch the trend, which I think has now become more of a paradigm with respect to the shift to the urban markets, uh, as well as, as uh, Mitch described earlier, I thought very effectively, the close-in suburban markets. And uh, what's happened in those markets is land prices, while, while the economy crashed and my real estate values went way down, land prices for very good sites in those core markets really didn't drop much price-wise. Okay. And what about tenant traffic in your properties? What are you seeing? It's been good. I think uh, probably the most positive trend we have seen in some of our markets would be that uh, we're starting to see consolidation uh, of some corporate facilities where right sizing and right values have, have taken place. And perhaps small district offices, unfortunately, in some of the secondary or very tertiary markets are closing in favor of a regional hub. And uh, typically, the, uh, the, the larger markets, both Gateway as well as some of the mid-sized markets, benefit from that regionalization. Yeah, that's great. And I think you're right. I think we're going to see a lot more movement in, inside the perimeter. If you want to look at cities like Atlanta that have the perimeter, I think the closer you are to CBD, the more housing, uh, the more office, uh, more retail. I think that's where the action is. Well, we're going to have more for you on the U.S. office market in just a moment. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Cone Resnick, forward-thinking advice to navigate business and financial issues. Visit ConeResnick.com. By BB&T, banking, business, and commercial real estate loans. Visit BB&T.com. 
and Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit agg.com. And Bull Realty, when your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We have some very interesting shows coming up for you, including shows featuring updates and forecasts on the retail and industrial sectors, and a show on the multifamily market. Be sure to catch shows of special interest to you. Sign up for a once-a-week email announcing the show topic at the home site, the home page, that is, of the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're discussing the U.S. office market. My guests are Jim Picata, Highwoods Properties, David Tenery with Regent Partners. And guys, let's talk about governmental influence on the market. And we still have the headwinds of debt reduction, uh, entitlement reform, and the debt ceiling. However, the physical cliff has been averted and, and tax provisions were extended on, on carried interest and depreciation. How do you think jobs and the office market might be affected moving forward, Jim? Uh, Michael, I'm really, really concerned for the long term. I think anybody with uh, that ever had Econ 101 would be deeply concerned if they were paying close attention to the numbers uh, in D.C. Uh, short term, medium term, I'm really not too concerned. I think we'll continue to see this uh, trend of, of kind of slow growth um, and job creation in most of the markets. Some will fare obviously better than others. Um, it's the long term that deeply concerns me. I'm afraid that we have a bunch of children running things in D.C., and they are uh, just uh, blatant, ignoring, blatantly ignoring the long-term effects of this deficit spending. It's out of control. It makes no sense at all. I do not understand how our political leaders can be so blind to the long-term damage. If they don't fix our budget problems soon, you can expect long-term growth to mirror economies like France and other European countries who are just totally gone. And uh, I, you know, I, I'm just hoping that some, some sensible people will prevail in D.C. at some point. Well, it's well said. And, you know, it's also been said that, uh, that the other states in the United States follow uh, California. Uh, you know, we don't want to follow California, you know, when they're overspending uh, in the rest of the U.S. And, uh, uh, David, what do you see? I see the same. I wanted to mention uh, when you're talking about California, and, mm-hmm. and uh, Jim was talking about the European economies and how we seem to be following and mirroring some of the policies and activities that have driven them to where they suffer now, is I spent some time this spring in Europe, and I remember a T-shirt I saw twice, once in France, once in Italy, was great. It said, please visit Greece. It's our California. <laughs> so, so the world watches. And I think in this case, unfortunately, not just the U.S. business world and the U.S. citizens are watching what's happening in Washington, but the world is watching us, and they're waiting for us to make good decisions, solid decision, and exercise fundamental economic policy that they can then mirror, I think, uh, on a worldwide basis. And instead, we seem to be, as Jim pointed out, watching our leadership in Washington becoming further and further removed from the realities of society, living within a bubble. And as a result, they find themselves, and we watch them slide deeper into this burning cauldron of principle mixed with compromise. And uh, absent uh, absent some reasonable policy in this first quarter, and certainly by the end of the second quarter, I think Jim's right, that we're in for a very slow, perhaps even a slower growth period in the short term as a result of behavior in the first half of the year, and certainly long-term economic policy uh, that's going to be very stifling, not just to real estate, but the economy in the U.S. in general. 
Right. Well, if you were speaking to Congress and, and the president, uh, what would you tell them today to how to fix this? What would you tell them you'd like to see done? Michael, I would just say simply simplify our tax code, cut taxes, but mostly get a grip on and modify and reduce entitlement spending. That's what's killing us. That's what's going to kill us in the long run. And, you know, we deal with CEOs and, and CFOs, David and I do, day to day. We're talking to our customers, negotiating leases. And if you, you speak to these guys about, about these issues, they go crazy. It makes them furious to think about what's going on in D.C. These are people who have financial discipline, and most of them have been trained you know, in, in finance. They just are incredulous about uh, this runaway spending, just total disregard, flagrant spending, ignoring, borrowing 44 cents of every dollar that's being spent. And, and the answer is not through taxation. We cannot put a bigger tax burden on our economy. It's already overburdened and we have the highest corporate tax rates in the world, um, the answer is not taxation. The political leaders want to say that. It's not going to solve the problem. Pulling resources out of the private sector is not going to fix our problem. Um, real simple. Yeah, well, good point. And I think it's real interesting that you guys are talking to business leaders every day, people who are really creating the jobs or the guys you talk to every day. And, David, what else would you would you tell the government? Well, I, I think, as I have with, with, a, with a local congressman recently, looked at them and said that your inability, current inability to govern effectively is stifling, if not shutting down, what is a very ready, willing, and able economic engine that's begging to roar. And I think there were some statistics we chatted about earlier uh, with respect to what happened in the fourth quarter as a result of the capital gains movement. There was tremendous growth on the real estate sector and sales volume, sales activity. There's huge capital reinvestment, not just in that year, but that will trail in 13 and 14 as those properties that are traded are improved and recapitalized and brought to the marketplace. And uh, we've got to continue that. So there ought to be a loud message to Washington about when a policy is set, when a direction is set, the markets react and become active and profitable in whatever way they need to to meet that policy change. They need to lead or get out of the way and let the engine roar ahead. Right, and like you said before, I mean, there's a lot of capital out there, and we're short on the break, but do you see a lot of capital both with the companies that you're dealing with that they're not investing and the real estate investors as well? I think there's a lot of capital, no doubt, uh, a lot of strong balance sheets with lots of uh, current assets out there. Um, CEOs, uh, CFOs are very anxious about the future. And so they're acting conservatively. They're holding back. And, and this, they're, they're worried about crazy fiscal policies in D.C. Okay. Well, in just a moment, we're going to get to more information on the U.S. office market, including some tips for better performance in the sector after, just after this. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Cone Resnick, forward-thinking advice to navigate business and financial issues. Visit ConeResnick.com. By BB&T, banking, business, and commercial real estate loans. Visit BB&T.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit AGG.com. And Bull Realty, when your business requires proven performance, visit BullRealty.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit FranceMediaInc.com.
Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. And today we're discussing the U.S. office market with Jim Bacata and David Tenerine. And guys, both your firms have have done well in this cycle. Uh, Jim, what do you attribute your success to there at Highwoods? Our C- CEO, COO, and our management team made a decision at the peak of the last cycle to unload uh, most of our non-core product. I think that strategically has been the best move that our company has made and has well positioned us and put us into more uh, Class A assets. And, you know, the flight to quality during this last cycle has really has really been evident. It's really helped us. But the the real key is it's, it's, just, it's a simple business, real estate, really, when it gets down to it. Buy the best assets that you can. We've had we've bought good assets. We've got good people. We pay close attention to detail, and we treat our tenants as highly valued customers. And tell us about a recent acquisition uh, you made. Well, two of our uh, larger, more recent acquisitions were uh, two Alliance Center in Atlanta, four hundred ninety-two thousand square foot double A trophy asset, paid one hundred forty-six million or two hundred ninety-eight dollars a square foot. Uh, the building had a really good. Uh, rent roll, 10 years average lease term, 90% leased, and we purchased it at about a 7.6 going in uh, gap cap rate. Cash was a little less, but there was still some free rent burning off. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we got in about 20% below replacement. Um, Our other uh, big asset purchase recently was EQT Plaza in Pittsburgh, another A building, 616,000 square feet, paid 99 million or about $161 a square foot. Again, a very strong rent roll, nine years, average lease term, 93% leased, a 7.1% cash going in cap rate, an 8.8% gap going in cap rate. Got it at about 40%, 45% or so below replacement. So we feel very good about both those assets. And uh, we've, we've made some other acquisitions re- recently, but those were the two biggest. Those are great acquisitions. And David, you guys have had great success at Regent Partners. What are you guys doing right well, I think, as Jim said, we, we looking back now at 04 through probably late 07, we sold an awful lot of assets at the peak and, and things that we had purchased at a discount prior to coming out of the last down cycle uh, that were positioned well. And so that got us uh, an awful lot of dry powder to take advantage of the opportunities we have in the last couple of years. But I think really for, for us as a fundamental component, discipline, timing, and uh, past execution successes have really been what's allowed us to access the kind of capital that we need to, uh, to get a hold of the equity required to have to do the kind of deals that we do. And I think one of our most recent deals was worthy of note is a project in, uh, in close-in suburban Atlanta, very close-in market, as Walter described earlier, of a project called Concourse. Uh, it's an iconic, uh, well-located 2.2 million square foot project that had been owned by Tia Kreft for, uh, since its really inception back in the mid and late 1980s. And we were able to get into that asset. And given the fact that we're private and not public, the information's not out there quite as broadly as Jim's is, so it'll be a little bit more coy. But I would say that uh, we went into that asset at somewhere just at, if not slightly under, one-half of replacement cost. Wow. And uh, once we recapitalize that asset, and I think we can restabilize it, we'll have a, have a good investment on our hands. Well, that's a great property. And uh, can you have a time for just a quick closing tip from you guys for our listeners? If you could give a tip to a to a landlord, an investor, a tenant, tenant rep? Well, you know, we were, we, we earlier, I'll, I'll go a little sideways on you, we earlier bad-mouthed uh, D.C. and all the policies mm-hmm. that are underway there. Uh, an investment tip is, hey, you know, real estate's a great investment. It's a great hedge against what I think is going to be 
future significant inflation and a, and a devaluing dollar. Um, so how about just a general investment tip? I buy, like it. Buy and real estate. And a quick one, David? Well, and, and that, to that point, ironically enough, a number that uh, capital sources that are coming back into the U.S. equity markets are European-based money. So I would say from a from a tenant perspective, go along. Rates are going to continue to increase over the next two to three years. I think more substantially than they have in the past two or three or the past two or three cycles. And also, if I'm a landlord, I'm going to want to go midterm to short term. Great. Well, Jim, David, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you sharing your insight. Thank you, Michael. Thank Fun you, to be Mike. here. Great for to be more here. information from anyone on the show today, you can find their contact information at the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Can you join us next week? We'll be discussing the U.S. retail market. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Michael Bull. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Cone Resnick, forward-thinking advice to navigate business and financial issues. Visit ConeResnick.com. By BB&T, banking, business, and commercial real estate loans. Visit BB&T.com. And Arnold Golden Gregory, a law firm that makes a difference. Visit AGG.com. And Bull Realty, when your business requires proven performance, visit BullRealty.com and by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com.